ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for joining us for this first uh, episode one of the Psychology of Lockdown series uh, with George Roach. He is the executive director of the Line Canada. They've been doing a lot of protests uh, up there in terms of uh, trying to fight against uh, this lockdown scenario that we've all been enduring now for 10 months or more. And I just uh, ran into a problem. I mean, it's been happening for a long time, but it's coming to a head now, of course, with COVID and all, all of this that's happening, that when I try to have conversations with people, I try to be rational with people, I try to show them peer-reviewed studies, uh, the science that backs the fact that I am not a proponent of the lockdowns, that I think that they're doing a lot more harm than good in terms of the economic devastation that they're causing versus uh, what we can tell, what little we can tell from the statistics about the number of lives potentially saved by all of this government action. And every time I bring it up, uh, I just, it's suddenly it's an uncomfortable conversation. When I present facts to people, peer reviewed studies, they, they, it's like they don't see it. I think this phenomenon is known as cognitive dissonance. Uh, I'm called a science denier, even though all I'm trying to discuss with them is the science as I can perceive it. Uh, and I speak with experts, by the way, on my podcast all the time that are also concerned about uh, the damage the lockdowns are causing. Uh, but they tell me that experts say that that they're working. But when I compare my experts with their experts, what my experts are saying makes a lot of sense to me. So it just seems like my point of view is at least valid. They don't have to agree with me, but I'm not a crazy person, right, <laughs> for observing what I'm observing. And when I have the conversations with these people, uh, it's just amazing how instantly the the atmosphere gets weird. Like it's uncomfortable to have the conversation. And oftentimes I find myself being shamed. Like I'm told that I don't care about uh, the, the elders in the old folks' homes or, you know, I don't <laughs> care about the community that I live in because I, I don't think that wearing a mask is an effective way of slowing the spread of a virus or I don't think the virus is that is that bad based on the way I interpret the numbers. And so uh, I wanted to get George on uh, as a foundation for this. Uh, we did a longer episode, episode 54 of The Shift, entitled Patriarchal Psychology and Cognitive Dissonance. So that, if you listen to that, that'll give you a real solid foundation but we wanted to do a longer series here based on uh, this whole idea of uh, what's going on psychologically because the rational conversations aren't really working. So I'm starting to wonder what's going on culture-wide that's preventing people from really being able to think rationally with me, just following my train of thought. Again, even if they disagree with me, you know, having counter arguments, we're having a reasonable conversation uh, instead of me just being shamed or, or me getting called names. Um, and so I wanted to do a deeper dive into uh, what George describes to me as family systems theory. And what we're doing is we're taking the psychology of growing up in a family and some of the traumatic experiences that tend to cause, uh, well, this concept of mystification that we're going to cover today, uh, which prevent people from really being able to see what's going on that will cause uh, these coping mechanisms like cognitive dissonance that will cause someone to lean on authority figures too much, even when the authority figure isn't saying anything that really makes sense. They'll still just want to believe in the authority figure, just like you as a child may have wanted to believe in an, in an abusive or an alcoholic father. Uh, and then we're going to extrapolate from the family system 
into the cultural and the government system and uh, find out actually that there are a lot of correlations between how people think and they, how they were entrained <laughs> in their family situation and then how now they're entrained to just do what the government tells them because they've developed these coping me mechanisms based on a, a traumatic emotional history. And so instead of trying to deal with this logically, like I have in the past and failed over and over again, uh, George and I are really gonna work on, on uh, looking at this from an emotional perspective and thinking about all of this more in terms of healing the people in your community, healing people emotionally, so that they have an ability to take a step back, think more critically, logically, and rationally about what's going on, and not just get triggered into a state of cognitive dissonance or into these automatic defensive positions, which involve name calling and shaming and things like that. So we can continue to try to have, you know, more more rational conversation where we have more respect for each other and we can work together more functionally in the broader community in the bigger in the bigger uh, scene. So. Uh, we're going to start with this concept of mystification. We're kind of using, we're leaning on the theories of John Bradshaw. Uh, George is influenced by a lot of people, but um, we're going to go step by step through the process of mystification as outlined by, by the therapist, the psychotherapist, John Bradshaw. We're going to go step by step. Each episode is going to address a different aspect of mystification. And then we're going to conclude the 15th episode with the idea of individuation, which is what happens once you've healed from the psychological trauma that's causing the mystification. So let me, uh, let me bring George on, uh, and he can describe uh, the bigger picture of this concept of mystification and where we're going to, where we're going to uh, take it from here. So, uh, George, do you want to let people know a little bit about your credentials and your history and then get into this concept? So, uh, our audience can start to understand what's Absolutely. going on here. Doug, it's good to be back with you. Uh, it was a long one we did last time. I'm glad we're going to do this in short and, uh, shorter stints mm -hmm. and give people uh, basic helpings of how to unfold to the understanding about mystification. So I'm, I'm really glad that we're, we're, we're doing this stuff that you're talking about it. You're, you're broaching this material because it's very important. It's very relevant. Yeah. Because right now we have people being shamed all over the place. Uh, if the people that are correct aren't being shamed, the people who are incorrect are being shameless <laughs> or shamed, <laughs> but everyone's being shamed in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And this is very family, uh, familiar. When you look at the systems that people have been raised on, we now we've all been raised by the same set of rules. So how can we not be shamed? I mean, I've done, I've done in my seminars many times, this role-playing question where how many people here think, deep down inside of themselves, there's something wrong with me. And arms are flying up, left, right, and center. I ask people what's wrong with them. I tell them to stand up. Jimmy, you told the audience, you know, there's something wrong with you. Please tell us what it is. Mm -hmm. Jimmy says, uh, gosh, I don't know. Have a seat. <laughs> Jimmy's been very informative today. Let's get Susie. Susie, I noticed her hand up when we asked a question. You know, do you feel like there's something wrong with you? Susie's like, I'm with Jimmy. I don't know. Okay, great. So we're learning a lot here today <laughs> about what's wrong with these people. The reality is, is people can't know if there's something wrong with them. So if you're checking your systems, you're actually being functional. Like a computer system has a program in it that says, you know, I'm working okay. The diagnostic tool is telling you 
I'm functioning properly. If that diagnostic tool isn't working, then we have the problem. Right. So if you're asking yourself that, you know, am I okay? You're doing well. The problem is with shame-based people is they don't stop asking themselves that question. They're found to be flawed and defective constantly. And the reason for that is because they have conditioned, sorry, they have been conditioned with shame. Mm -hmm. That means when they had a good idea or they felt an emotion like anger or sadness or fear, it was attacked. They were led to believe that they were being disapproved of, invalidated. Mm -hmm. And once a person goes through that a number of times, they get the message. The anger's not okay. The sadness's not okay. The fear's okay as long as it doesn't interrupt us. But nothing else is okay except you being afraid. Right. You can't be angry about the guy attacking you in Lowe's about the mask. You can't be sad or your child can't be sad that they asked about the mask because it's a rule. So this is a moral rule. It's ethical. That's what matters most here. You have to get the message. We're in charge. We are an authority. Hey, anybody growing up with a despotic father or mother is going to re experience that despotic mother or father in the person attacking them about not wearing a mask. The person being attacked is then going to repeat all the same phrases that didn't work back in the days when they were with that despotic mother or father. Mm -hmm. So what's happening here is when people are shamed over and over again, the very tools that they need to rely on to survive being shamed are suddenly denied them. It's as if to say, we tripped you, ha-ha, you fell. And we're responsible for nothing. And then they want to move into a position to take away the tools you need to work through that pain they inflicted on you. Very characteristic of what's going on in the violation of our rights today with COVID and the, and the extreme measures. And the obviously... Uh, uh, nonsensical values in those me measures put forth. People are very confused. They don't make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if, if I wear the mask, why the six feet? If I'm doing the six feet, why the mask? If I do both of them, why the lockdowns? And if all of that works, why the increase in cases? Now, naturally, when people are afraid, they overreact and they underreact things. They overreact to things they shouldn't be overreacting to, such as opinion, and they underreact to the fact of the scientific background of the evidence that they've ignored because they're not ready to receive it because they are scared to death. And when people are scared to death, they move into what's called survival mode. They just do enough to keep themselves fed, clothed, and not in pain. Well, that can't be entirely useful because you're missing so much information about how to determine what you should be doing for yourself. And if you're not making informed decisions, then you must be making haphazard ones. So none of that can be healthy. So when you're shame-based, what happens is a part of you goes to sleep. All the parts that are the most powerful parts of you lay dormant. They'll call out to you at some point in your life and you will have to reconnect because all of your power 
All of the human power that is arrested in shame is arrested in the shadow side. The parts that people don't want to accept, they don't want to acknowledge, and they don't want to recover. Because in order to recover these parts, they must admit that there's something wrong with them. They're flawed and defective. They're unlovable, insignificant, unimportant. They don't matter. How does that register when you go to Walmart or Fortino's or Canadian Tire or Lowe's? When you go into these places and somebody says, excuse me, where's your mask? Right away, you start to rebel. You're fighting the ghosts of mom and dad. Suddenly, the authority figures have reappeared. I'm no longer speaking to the manager of the store. I'm now speaking to dad or good old mom who used to put my emotions down for whatever reason. This isn't to blame anybody. We're trying to have a corrective experience. We're trying to understand how do people become mystified? How do they get put to sleep? What is it I need to experience in my environment during my earliest years of upbringing so that when I become an adult, I don't question authority figures. I don't ask any questions about things that don't make sense. I just become a nice guy, cooperative, conformist, people pleaser, who's going to go along with the rules, but I'm never going to question anything because to do so is wrong. You're found to be wrong. You see, the problem is the reason why you'll notice these conversations about masks or these restrictions wind up in heated debates so quickly is the person that's being confronted acts like they're being attacked. Why? Because they fear being wrong. Mm -hmm. The thing is, their fears are realized. They are wrong. They have no right to attack anybody. In fact, I've spoken to people who have been attacked in these stores and I call the managers and I ask them point blank, can you please tell me what law or science you are bringing to the conversation that affords you the ability to enforce these principles on other people? Please, just the science. Well, I will have to end this conversation now, sir. But I get too close to the truth. Is, is this the problem? You see, now their shame starts to get triggered because when people can't answer the question, they feel a little ashamed and they've got to remove the source of that shame, which they believe is you. Actually, the person confronting the person who feels ashamed is not the source of the person's shame. They are merely the trigger for it. In other words, why is it there in the first place? Right. And that's what we have to answer. How do people get this shame in the first place? And so that's, uh, I just want to kind of recap and, and try to set some real, real clear definitions about all of this. I mean, basically, I think a lot of people are familiar with the concept of the inner child. And so when you're a child, you can't take care of yourself and you're, you're dependent upon mom and dad, but mom and dad have their own set of psychological problems. Unfortunately, uh, there hasn't been a lot of emotional healing happening in our culture for a long time. Uh, so, you know, generation after generation, our parents aren't perfect and they're setting down some ground rules that you have to follow or else you're going to, essentially you're going to get public punished or you're going to be shamed by your parents. And when you're one, two, three, four years old, you're completely dependent on these people. And so you're used to understanding that if you don't follow these rules that the family system has laid out, then you're going to get punished or shamed. 
and you internalize this and you have these coping mechanisms with dealing with the shame or the punishment that comes your way. And as you grow in a healthy adult, you should grow up and understand that you're separate from your mom and dad now. You have your own life. You can make your own decisions and you respect other people's boundaries because they're also adults and they can make their own decisions. Absolutely. But this doesn't happen to to most of us. I mean, unless you go through a rigorous healing process, you're going to end up just sort of replaying. In fact, you know, you, you you'll find a spouse that that helps you to replay this same scene, the same scenario that your parents did unless the, the two of you heal from these patterns, you're just going to replay these patterns over and over again and you're going to be setting rules and shaming your kids. And so shame is like the fuel that fuels the fire of just blindly following the rules. And so eventually, and maybe you could define mystification just a little bit more precisely. Am I right to say that eventually you're going to actually develop a worldview that says basically that following the rules must be correct, even if this is mystical thinking? If it's not obviously not true, but you're going to follow those rules anyway because this is the coping mechanism that you had to develop when you were three years old and your parents spanked you if you got too close to the street or whatever, you know, or if you uh, were talking too loudly when they were trying to have a conversation. Um, you're just going to replay this coping mechanism over and over again, even if your worldview has to has to participate in, in essentially delusional thinking, to think that things must be true if the authority figure tells me, just like when you were three years old, it had to be true when your dad told you you had to act one way or the other, or else you were going to get shame. Well, sure. I mean, your parents don't Baskin Robbins is. Why would a child question anything their parents tell them? Yeah. They've, you know, I'm completely dependent upon them. Children are needy by nature, not by choice. Adult children are needy uh, by design. They grew up without getting their needs met. You see, no child would become depressed. No child would become shame-based if any of the traumas or any of the ways that they have been spoken to were allowed to be grieved in the arms of somebody who truly cared and loved them. Mm -hmm. So we've got to understand that the greatest threat to shame-based people is the withdrawal of love. Nothing sets a person up faster to be dependent than denying them the source, the sustenance their humanness requires, which is love. So I've said before, you know, in, in an acronym sense, love is, is if you fail to love, you leave out virtually everything. And that's very true because shaming people isn't about loving them. It's about splitting them into two camps. Mm -hmm. When parts of you are accepted to the exclusion of other parts, the parts that are denied, rejected, shamed, and abused operate underground. You no longer own them. So naturally, the shadow side, where all that power, all that human power that's in arrest is, that you require to be fully functioning, goes underground, and now what do you have to do? Later on in life, you've got to reclaim it. Hence, talk about mystification, what we're talking about is being baffled and bewildered. Mm -hmm. We've lost our identities in our childhood because we have been neglected, abandoned, shamed, abused, and rejected, and taught to, to feel as though there's something wrong with me. The way I am is not okay. I'm basically flawed and defective. 
unlovable, insignificant, unimportant. Therefore, if I let you in on who I am or if I am me, you will not like or love me, plays like a broken record. And that is an internalization process. You know, uh, I think it was Flo and Connolly who found that by the time a child is five years old, they have internalized 25,000 hours of parent tapes. That's a lot of parental recording and influence as a program that guides our responses. It is that mystification that we are trying to work through so that we can fully become the adults we were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Not for codependent, wounded, shame-based children, adult children, where they've been spoken to by authority figures as if they are to obey without question. Now, the irony here is, which you'll see, is the people who expect others to submit to them under their authority are the same people who become submissive to others with whom they perceive as having more authority over them. So the role reversal is very commonplace for shame-based people. They will put others in the same helpless position they once assumed, forever forgetting that they once assumed that position and that the reason they're doing it to others is because it was done to them. They're literally repeating the only thing they've known to do interpersonally, which is shame people anytime that person doesn't comply with their rule book. Mm -hmm. Now, we have all these rules showing up again that are very shaming. Wear a mask. If you're in the grocery store and you have your children, put a mask on them. And if you don't do it, please leave. Starts out, if you don't follow my rules in this house, pack your bags and get out. That's the same thing. (laughs) So there's many parallels to be drawn by the way people are being treated today as they did way back, way back when in in the day when their authority figure, their father or their mother, whoever was denying them the sustenance of of true guidance and love was shaming them. Mm -hmm. That child grows up to be an adult who will still show us the same responses at 40 years old, as they did at four. But so many years have gone by, all we need is a trigger of anything similar. You see, the interesting thing about the memory is we store memory with all five senses. So whatever isn't consciously remembered is acted out, thus indirectly discovered. There's no coincidence that if we give a three-year-old a a pair of dolls to play with, that he or she is going to project their interpersonal experience on the dolls. It's all they know. Right. They're not able to critically question and update the social rearing files. They don't have that opportunity to do that. It's not afforded them. That's why adults have a very large task of fixing this wounded inner shame-based child who has been riddled with authoritarianism, uh, 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 absentee parenting, uh, um, where, where permissiveness, you know, where there's uh, a controlling, a shaming, discounting quality to the relationship as opposed to an invitation. Tell us what you feel. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you know. Tell us more. Shame is about telling us less. Right. Say nothing. Don't question anything. What we say goes. Do as I say, not as I do. Well, it's so fascinating because what you're describing then is, first of all, this sort of system of authoritarianism psychologically is this is shame-based 
And it's this cycle of violence where somebody who is going to want to do what the authority figure tells them is then, because they're disempowered, is going to almost then inflict that shame onto the other people. They're going to feel empowered by inflicting the shame onto people who are not following the rules. So they want to follow the rules. They're following the authoritarian figure. And then they're inflicting the shame onto people who don't want to follow the rules, uh, as opposed to just allowing the people to be their their own individuals. You know, <laughs> allowing people to set their oh, own yeah, personal they want boundaries. To mold the image of their parents' rule book. Mm-hmm. In this case, now we're being molded in the image of what the government says. The new right. parent. Yeah. You see. Yeah. You see. So, so they've shifted this. You know, it's it's like um, what 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 are we calling it? Virtue uh, virtue signaling. Right. When I am obedient, I am good. When I am disobedient, I am bad. So this old dialogue that took place with the child and the parent is very characteristic of the dialogues being held with manager and client, manager and customer, uh, uh, service customer and client, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're very characteristic of those attributes. Very similar. We can draw parallels. Too many times with this stuff. I'm getting complaints right now at the line for people being shamed all over the place. Grocery stores, Canadian Tire, Portinos, Longos, you name it, it's happening. And these people are now being denied service because they're not willing to comply with the with the rules, the policies. Suddenly, we're no longer talking about laws and human rights anymore, which are applicable to our upbringing. Yeah, absolutely. And when you do talk about human rights, you get shamed. <laughs> Because you're exactly. not following the rules. Shame on you. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about defending the integrity of our of, of our right to be here, to stand here, to yeah. breathe the air. The rule of law. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I just want to kind of recap. I'm trying to make these concepts as simple as possible. But when people are raised in this kind of shame-based authoritarianism, this cycle of violence, this psychological prison, if you will, where... They're given rules and they're shamed. They feel shame if they don't follow the rules. They become mystified. It clouds their ability to have confidence in their their own self to critically think and make decisions for themselves. Informed decisions, I would say. Right. Informed decisions. They're baffled and bewildered. They don't they don't have confidence in themselves because of the of the trauma, the trauma the trauma of the shaming experience. Um, and so they become baffled and bewildered. And the only way that they feel like they can participate is within this rule-based system where they then follow the rules of the authoritarian figure, the big brother figure. As you become an adult, that becomes the government. Your parents no longer control you, but the government is still there filling this position of the authoritarian figure. And so a lot of people who have this trauma from childhood then will just blindly in this baffled and bewildered way, follow the rules without being able to critically analyze the rule maker because they're afraid if they do, they'll be shamed. And then they shame others who are questioning the authority figure because they're so scared that if they don't follow the, they're triggered back into that three-year-old mindset where they're literally frightened that if they don't do what the authority figure says, they're dependent they feel dependent. They've been triggered back into this childhood state. They're no longer acting from, from a place of, a, of an independent adult making their own, their own personal decisions. 
And then the only way to heal from this, this automatic triggered response, the only way to heal from this is to consciously go back and remember what caused the trigger and actually grieve the fact that you were treated unfairly, recognize that you were treated unfairly, grieve that experience, heal from that experience, and then you can go through this process no longer being mystified, but now being individuated, being an individual able to, to make your own conscious decision, your, your, your informed choices for yourself as a confident individual. Does that, does that sound well, right? <laughs> well, I mean, absolutely. Because in order for it to be true discipline, mm-hmm. you have to have an authentic self. If right. your self is all bundled up in shame and in hiding, that means that you don't have full personal power. How would you be then in a condition, it may seem appropriate to ask, to make decisions, to confront reality, confront authority figures, or even begin to hold them accountable if you haven't been taught how to name the behaviors they should be held accountable for? If you were just simply taught not to ask questions or confront content that is either awkward, uncomfortable, or disapproved of by the dysfunctional family that you were raised on the no-talk, no feel, no listen rules. Right. And obviously, you're gonna you have learned that you don't talk, don't listen to what people are saying to you if it is in conflict with what you believe, and don't feel differently about it. It's got it's not your fault. You're not responsible for uh, for what they think or what they say, whether it's true, right, wrong, or indifferent. Don't listen. For crying out loud, don't listen. Live defensively. Think about what to say next rather than hearing what's actually being said to you. And this is how shame-based people live. They live so defensively, it necessitates thinking about what to say next rather than hearing what's actually being said, especially if the information is, again, in conflict with what they believe or what they've been raised to believe. Their family rule book is a very impermeable uh, book. And it's very important to understand that words, no matter how skilled, can help a person to heal from mystification. As you mentioned a moment ago, they must be willing to travel back to that early age when they were first shamed and begin to grieve the impact those events have had. Because they they imprint in the brain and then they become what's called governing scenes. So anything the amygdala sees that resembles the past guides the response. You start doing and saying all the things that you said and did back then, back then when that didn't work. And you continue every time a similar situation rears its head to perform the same way. It's like you're on autopilot. You yeah. develop magical thinking. You don't want to look at the information. Uh, it's too scary. So this is cognitive closure where people have horse blinders on. They have shared focus, shared denial. They'll look at this, but they won't look at that. Right. We'll talk about A, B, and C, but don't you know? Don't bring D, E, and F into the picture, please. And and then another thing I'm experiencing is this idea of projection, where then they project onto you exactly what you're doing. They're calling me a science denier when I'm trying to show them the science that that has helped me to formulate my opinion. Um, you know, this just happens over and over again. Once people get triggered into this defensive mode. There's really actually no no getting through at that point. They're, they're just in fight or flight mode. Well, let's clear that up. 
Blame is habitually used to regain the illusion of control. When a person is projecting, what they're essentially doing to you is they're saying, I'm experiencing me more in you than in me, mm-hmm. which is a form of blame. You see, uh, remember, I said shame is very painful. So you want to get out of it. You want to mood alter it as quickly as possible. So what's the best way to get out of shame? Give it to you. Interpersonally transfer it to you. Through projection, through the no talk, no listen, no feel, perfectionism, incompletion, and unreliability rules. And I'll break those down as we go through our mystification series. But for the purposes of of this uh, introduction to that series, I want to get across to you that we're all raised on the same set of rules. So how can we not be shamed? We've learned through being shamed, through being controlled, manipulated, and dictated to, that we've learned that relationships are based on power, control, secrecy, fear, distance, distrust, Mm -hmm. the number of emotion, isolation, and shame. And every one of those is going on today in the narrative of our governments worldwide. Sounds great, man. And I know that we can talk about these things for hours and hours, so we should wrap it up. We want to try to keep these things short and sweet. I do want to end with uh, a little bit because I'm doing my homework. So right now I'm reading this book, uh, The Road Less Traveled by, I believe, Scott Peck is the guy's name. Great book. And and so I'm learning a little bit about this, this whole concept of family systems uh, as well. And so when you brought up discipline, just to finish this up, because this is why people don't want to confront and do this work. And this is why it is hard work. Absolutely. People don't, they, you have to have discipline to do, to, to go from mystification through to individuation. This means you have to have courage. You have to confront your greatest personal fears. And, um, the other thing that he brings up is you can't be lazy. You know, people naturally want, I mean, life is just easier if you're, if you're lazy and you follow your fears rather than have the courage and the discipline to face uh, those fears head on and overcome these fears. And so, you know, this is the work that we hope that people who listen to this series are going to be willing to do. You, you know, as you listen to this, think about what's going on within yourself. I mean, not only for the people, honestly, For the people who are very pro-authoritarian and may be completely caught up in this cycle of mystification, I think everybody who listens to this, we all have healing to do. And it's important for us to understand these concepts so that we can become stronger ourselves, heal ourselves more and more emotionally so that we can confront uh, the the authoritarianism that is coming so that we don't get triggered ourselves, so that we can remain calm, so that we can understand when we are and have compassion, actually, for those who are triggered into this authoritarian cycle of, of mystification and shame-based. Absolutely. That prevents them from being able to see what appears obvious to some of us um, and can be so frustrating to deal with. So, uh, George, anything to finish up with? Well, I think what we should tell the listeners is that we're going to go through these stages, these 13 stages of mystification. We're going to break each one down individually so you understand how to answer the question, how did I get here? How did I get put to sleep? Now that I realize maybe some things about me are still sleeping, I need to reclaim them. How do I know how to do that? How do I know did my wounded toddler get wounded? Stop watching TV. 
did my wounded infant get wounded? How do I know this? And I think it's extremely important that we start to name these things for people so that once they have a name, they can begin to identify it in themselves and then begin to get to work on this and reclaim that part of themselves that has all the power that they require today to survive and deal with the authoritarianism, the tyranny, uh, and the oppression that we're all experiencing here and abroad. All right. Well, sounds like a plan. And we're going to start next week uh, uh, talking about magical thinking. And then we'll go on down the list. Um, uh, I don't think I'm going to read the list for everyone now. You'll get the chance. We're going to do this as a weekly series. There are 13 points. And then we'll finish again uh, with the episode on individuation, which is the final, theoretically, if we get through these points. Yeah, (laughs) let's not forget about the quiz. we got a quiz for you, folks. Okay. Uh, this quiz is going to help you to identify what's going on today. You know, you know, when, when we can put today into perspective, we can prepare ourselves for the journey to the back then and, and, and put our boots and hats on Mm -hmm. and get ready to take the walk back there. And once we realize that it's not as scary as we think it is, then we will have reassembled parts of ourselves that will restore us to the power to prepare for what's coming. Okay. And that's what we need to do because we need, we need all of ourselves to deal with all of this. Do you want to go through that right now then and kind of prep people with the quiz for, for what they can be thinking about as we go through the, uh, as we sure. go through the rest of the, of I'll, I'll go through, I'll, I'll quickly go through the 10. Okay. Here's something for everybody to think about. So, the people watching this, if you want to go and get a pen and a piece of paper, and I'll, I'll go through them reasonably uh, slowly, but not too, too slowly. So if you have a recorder or something, or you can, you know, watch this video again or stop it, whatever you want to do. Let's make a PDF and then people can download it. Okay. So basically, what you want to ask yourself is, How mystified am I? Am I mystified at all? Here are some of the sure ways to tell if you are or you are not mystified, depending on your answer. So number one is, do you get angry or defensive when your spouse criticizes your parents? Mm. There's information about that that tells us where you're at emotionally and mentally. Number two, do you get angry and or defensive when someone outside your family makes a realistic but negative remark about one of your parents or source figures, whoever they are, whoever raised you? Do you still resent one or both of your parents? Do you obsess on one or both of your source figures, your parents? Have you stayed in a stuck relationship long after? It was healthy to be there. And have you stayed in a destructive relationship long after you understood it was self-destructive to mm-hmm. be in it? Including a relationship with your government, right? <laughs> Let's not forget the relationship with the government. Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes that relationship must be discarded. It is outworn. <laughs> Whenever you take the time to reflect on it, do you feel that you are not afraid of death? We talked earlier about people being scared to death. Mm -hmm. 
Do you feel more comfortable talking about your faults than your strengths? Do you complain about your parents and then quickly explain their motives in an attempt to excuse their problems or weaknesses? Oh, yeah, the government wants us to wear masks, but hey, there's a reason. There's a pandemic. We're going to explain away their motives, get you to buy into this. Mm -hmm. And number 10, have you told, have you been told that you imitate the worst qualities of your parents? Ah. Wow. Yep. That's a big one. And then, and then uh, again, just because uh, to extrapolate then uh, the source figure, once you've grown up and you're no longer, your parents aren't the authority, the source figure becomes oftentimes for many people, the government. Uh, when you should be individuated as an adult and you should be starting your own family and doing your own thing, but people that haven't been raised, that are raised in this rules-based, shame-based system are going to have to have some kind of source figure and they're going to, and they're going to project those needs, that codependency on the government, right? And not because they're not mature enough to really feel like they can take care of themselves. So they think they need the government to take care of them for them. Exactly. We've yeah. got to balance this, this, you know, power and love in the world of codependency. Absolutely. People have to ask themselves, do you want the love of power or the power of love? We see where that answer sits right now in the government, Doug. Right. Sounds like a plan. I think we better end on that one. Um, you know, we're trying to stick these to a half hour. I think we're probably right there now. Uh, so uh, we'll call it. And next time we're going to be talking about magical thinking and then we'll keep going on down the list. But if you follow us through this entire 15 part series, uh, I think you're going to be really intrigued by the parallels that you're going to find between what we're discovering as we study this family systems therapy approach to emotional healing and the relationship that we all have with the government. Uh, especially, you know, with the authority figures in our lives and why so many people just automatically do what the authority says without in this, uh, to say the terms again, the bewildered, the baffled and bewildered state, the mystified state, rather than being able to think critically and have respect for other people's boundaries. As we go through dealing with something like this pandemic situation, we hit this yeah. quote unquote crisis. And that's why we're seeing these, you know, people suddenly falling back into this this state of the wounded inner child and then leaning on the authority figure and the rules and the shame-based system. So thank you so much. It's supposed to be about health and safety. Yeah. Right. None of that is healthy nor safe. Right. Absolutely. Ironically. Okay. Great. Thanks, George. Let's, thank cut it, let's cut it off there. And we'll be back next week again with uh, episode two, which we'll, we'll be dealing with magical thinking. So stay tuned for that. And again, if you follow us through all 15, I think it's going to be a real mind uh, blowing, mind altering experience to understand how much of our relationship we're so used to arguing politics. Everything's gotten so politicized. So I think, and it's not working. Clearly, this is not working. So let's take a step back and let's ask ourselves, maybe it's our emotional state. And maybe we need to really think about emotional healing if we're going to go through and get through this crisis as a community, uh, as a nation state, uh, as, a, as a world, uh, making it through all of this without letting the authoritarianism uh, just push us around. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back again next week. And you all have a great day. Take care. Thanks. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. You bet.